We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chase Baker, the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. We'll be bringing our series, One Voice, to a close with a message from Pastor Jason. As we focus in on our final four core values, joy, change, excellence, and prayer, the passage we'll be learning from is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're so excited to dive into God's Word today with you. So now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, a, a characteristic that I find very uh, endearing in people is when people are in this category that I like to call all in, people who just live their lives all in. Do you guys know some people like that? That, I mean, they don't do anything without it being big and they are fully into it. They learn a new hobby and they buy every book about that new hobby and all those kinds of things. I really appreciate that because it's, it's one thing to just kind of dabble in something, but it's another thing to say, you know what, I'm going to really be committed to that cause. And I want to give you a couple examples, a couple of things that, that I've experienced over the past a couple of years that would fall under this category of, of things that are all in. My wife and I uh, went to Gatlinburg a couple of years ago, and we went to one of the lesser-known museums in Gatlinburg, and it was called the Salt and Pepper Shaker Museum, the Museum of Salt and Pepper Shakers. This is a real thing. It's a real place. I think the admission was like $3 a person, so I mean, it's very budget-friendly, on your, uh, but it's off the beaten path in Gatlinburg, and you walk into this Salt and Pepper Museum, and there are, no joke, like 20,000 salt and pepper shakers in this museum. And I, about halfway walking through, it came to my realization that this is one family's personal collection of salt and pepper shakers. And I thought to myself, these people are all in. I mean, they have committed to the cause of salt and pepper shakers. And then you have James Burns. James Burns has one of the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. I appreciate James for what he does, something that he and I do not agree upon. I'm almost 40 years old and have never seen any of the Star Wars movies. And at this point in my life, I think it's just too late to start. So why even bother? Some of you guys are going to email me later and you're going to give me some kind of geeked out example of everything I need to do. Save your time, save your energy. I mean, at this point, you're not going to teach an old dog new tricks. So why even trying to start understanding Star Wars now. But I appreciate James for what he is doing. And then lastly, there's Celine Cornette. And Celine Cornette is a Belgian lady, and she has over 2,200 stuffed panda bears in her house. Not in storage, not in retail space, in her four walls, in her house. 2,200 stuffed panda bears. According to the internet, this is the largest collection of stuffed panda bears of anybody in the world. So if anybody wants to be in Guinness, 2201 will get you uh, above, above Celine. Now, maybe you've not gone to these kind of extremes, but I would venture to say that most of you guys probably have some area of your life that is your all-in area. You know, I'm just going to kind of be all-in for that. Maybe it's sports for you. Maybe it's your kids and their sports activities. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, you know, understanding of the stock market, which what a week if you're all-in for the stock market that you would have been seeing what's happening. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, and you're saying, I'm not all-in to the stock market, so I have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's whatever, some kind of hobby it might be. But this morning, I want us to turn our sights to what it means to be all-in in an area of our life that really matters. To be all in for an area that's so much more significant than just a collection 
or a hobby or especially finances. This morning, I want us to talk about what it means to be all in for a commitment to follow Jesus and to live our lives of faith, to grow and trust God in all things. In essence, to say, God, I want to be all in for you. I want to give my all for you. I'm so grateful that you're here with us this morning. If you're with us for the very first time, I'm so grateful that you're here. If you've been a part of Rolling Hills for quite some time, just know that I'm equally thankful for your presence here. And I want us to pray together and ask God to give us just a sense of direction about what he wants to do in our hearts as we seek to hear from him today. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. I'm so thankful for who you are. I'm grateful for this day, and I pray for our time together, that every person who is here, that these words that are shared from your word will be encouraging, and that they will show us more and more about who you are and the plan that you have for our lives and what you desire to do in our lives. I'm grateful again, God, for who you are, and thank you again for this day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Now, here at Rolling Hills, we have a vision statement, and that vision statement at Rolling Hills is to be a people of God reaching out, growing up, and giving all. It's what we desire to be about. Two weeks ago, we talked about reaching out, that our commission is to go and tell other people about Jesus. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, according to Scripture, and we are commissioned to go and make disciples, to point people to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to point people to this truth that Jesus is the answer for everything in your life. Last week, we talked about growing up and what it means to grow up in our faith, and that growing up isn't necessarily just an activity, but to grow up is really to grow in love, because how much deeper can you go than love? The Bible says, when Jesus was asked by the religious leaders, what are the most important rules that we can follow? He said, the most important rules you can follow are to love, to love God and to love other people, and so to grow up in love. And today we talk about what it means to give all, to be a person who says, everything about my life, I want to be about giving that back to God. I want to be fully devoted to God, nothing being held back for my plans and my purposes. And the passage of scripture that I want us to start out with is in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. It's over in the New Testament, pretty close to the end of the New Testament. If you have a phone or something that you want to hop on a mobile device and get to 1 Corinthians, but those words are also going to be up here on the screen for you. And some of them are printed in that guide that you were handed when you walked in today. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And listen to what Paul says here in this text, starting in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture. And I want you to ask yourself the question, how is this relatable to me today? Well, to answer that question, just kind of go back and talk about what's actually happening here in this text. Paul was a Jewish leader. Paul was born a Jew. He was a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, meaning he was a very spiritually elite religious leader. In fact, a word that I would use to describe Paul would be zealous. He was very zealous for his cause. And what was his cause? Initially, his cause was to stop the message of Christianity. 
It was the first century, and the gospel was spreading like wildfire, and Paul tries to stop it. In fact, he goes with marching orders to kill Christians, to stop, literally to stop the message of Christianity. And he is on this road called the Damascus Road, and this bright light shines to him on this road, and it's Jesus. And Jesus reminds him that he has a better plan for Paul's life. And so Paul's forever is changed. And now he's not just trying to stop the message of Christianity. He's actually trying to add fuel to the fire. And so his mission completely changes. And he goes about being a missionary and taking the message of the gospel. And it says that he takes the message back to the Jewish population. He takes the message to the Gentile population, who are people who are not Jewish. And he says, I'm trying to become all things to all people so that I can win some. Now, I've heard people use this passage of Scripture not in its proper context before. And they say, well, I'm trying to become all things to all people. So I have this group of friends over here that are Buddhist, and they kind of dabble in Buddhism and hot yoga. And that's kind of their religion. And so I'm going to become like them in order to reach them. And then I've got this other group of friends over here that are all about social justice. They don't talk much about the Bible, but they're really all about all of the injustices in the world. The Bible is not absent on all justice-related issues, by the way. We just have to have a conversation about things under, from a perspective of what is God's plan and, and the love that Jesus desires for us to have. And so sometimes we will say, well, that's what it means to become all things to all people. That's not what Paul's talking about at all. What he is actually saying is that everything is under the umbrella of faith in Jesus Christ. So he goes to a Jewish population. He was raised a Jew. So when Paul would go to a new city, he would usually go find the synagogue, the center of the Jewish population, and he would sit with the other Jewish leaders, and he would help them understand what they missed about Jesus, what they didn't see about Jesus. And then he would go to the Gentiles, to those who had not had access to the message of the gospel quite yet. And he would explain to them what Jesus had done for them and that God sent Jesus so that we could have life. Paul's not compromising any truth. He's just saying, I'm so all in that I'm willing to become all things to all people so that some will have faith in Jesus Christ. And I read this text and I realize I still have a lot of work to do. My life doesn't always look like Paul's does. I'm sometimes much more comfortable with becoming some things to some people opposed to all things to all people. Look at verse 23. Why does Paul do all of this? He says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. What does the word gospel mean? The word gospel means good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and that Jesus lived a sinless life, and he died for the sins of all humanity Paul says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. And a question that I've been pondering over the last couple of weeks, and you'll see the question up here if you want to fill in some of those blanks on your page. The question I've been pondering is, what would my life look like if I did everything for the sake of the gospel? Truly, what would my life look like if I did everything for the sake of the gospel, everything for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ? What if I parented for the sake of the gospel? See, if I was parenting for the sake of the gospel, then my kids coming to have faith in Jesus Christ would be more important than the awards that they win. Awards are fine, but them coming to know Jesus and coming to have a relationship with Christ would be more of a priority to me than them winning an award. Or if they were to say, you know what, I want to become a missionary in a foreign land, 
that that would be celebrated, opposed to saying, no, you need to go to a path of where you're going to make a lot of money, or you're going to need to take some path that's going to, have, that's going to be more influential, or you may have more fame, or whatever the case might be. How about my relationships? If every relationship in my life was really driven by the sake of the gospel, then the people in my life would know what's important to me. I would have had some conversations with them. I would have shared with them some truth about God and Jesus' plan for their life. If everything in my life was for the sake of the gospel, I don't think I would forget how much Jesus changed me, how much he really changed me. One of the wisest leaders that I've ever had an opportunity to work with, her name is Selma Wilson. And Selma was a leader that I had a privilege of working with at my time at Lifeway. We've brought Selma in to do some training with our staff. And I love her wisdom. And one of the things that I would hear Selma frequently say is when she would be asked a number of questions, she would very frequently bring her answer back to, I've just never gotten over what Jesus did for me. We brought her into our staff training, and it was one of the young leaders at Rolling Hills. And they said, what kind of advice would you give you know, to a young leader that wants to make a difference in the world. And she so beautifully answered, never get over what Jesus has done for you. Just never grow tired of thinking about that and reflecting upon that and spending time just hanging on to that good news of what Jesus has done for you. Perhaps your step this morning is to realize what he has done for you. Maybe you've never had a moment in your life when you have realized what Jesus has done. In fact, if you've never had that moment to where you realize what Jesus has done, I want you to kind of hang out there for a second. In fact, you don't even really have to pay attention to anything else that I have to say today because this is more important than anything else that I would say. It's the power of the gospel. It's the good news. And what is that message of the gospel? That message of the gospel, simply put, is that God so loved the world. This is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, John 3, 17, but through him that the world may be saved. See, God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, so that you could have life. And Jesus lived here on this earth. He came as a baby. We celebrated it a few weeks ago. He lived a sinless life. He was put in a tomb. He took up on death. And in doing so, he took on our sin. And our sin is anything that separates us from God, meaning every act that I have committed that is not pleasing to God, everything that I will ever do that is not pleasing to God, Jesus took all of that away. And he wiped it away. It's kind of like a chalkboard that's just full of mess. And you remember as a kid, you would, if you were ever the one that got to pick, I was back in school when we had chalkboards, and you ever had to be the one that got the wet sponge, that got to just... And it was just a beautiful picture because the board was so clean. See, that's what Jesus did for my heart. And that's what Jesus did for our lives. He took it all away. I hope and pray that you never grow tired of that and that you never forget about that. And to follow Jesus, what Jesus tells us to do is that we confess with our hearts. And we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. I'm not control. I'm not in control. God, I know that you are in control. And it says that we will be saved. That's the power of the gospel. Did you guys know that sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian? Having a mom or a dad that was a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Having a grandmother who was a follower of Jesus doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is someone who 
has believed that, and they've confessed that with their heart. And so maybe you're here today, and that's the step that God is asking you to take. Or maybe there's another step. There's a step that God is seeking for you to take. We could uh, highlight a number of things for you about what it means to really do everything for the sake of the gospel. But I want to highlight a few of them. If my, if my life was really about everything being for the sake of the gospel, there's three things that I want to highlight for you that I think your life will look like. From a very practical standpoint, first of which, and you see this here on your notes, if everything about my life was for the sake of the gospel, I think that my joy would continually be increasing. Don't you? If everything in my life was about Jesus and the gospel, I think my joy would continually be increasing. Look at Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Don't you love that emphasis? Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it the first time, rejoice again. Find great joy in Jesus. In case you missed it, find great joy again. Now, do you and I have a lot to be sad about right now? Yes. Do you and I have a lot to be joyful about right now? Absolutely. See, joy is the trademark of a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because nothing can ever take that away. When I realize what God has done for me through Jesus, he saved me. He set me on a path of where I'm fulfilled now in life, and I have an eternal home that I'm looking forward to in heaven. How can I walk around with a frown on my face if I understand that truth? I pray that that joy will always be constantly increasing. Secondly, I think if everything in our life was for the sake of the gospel, I don't think we would be content with complacency. We wouldn't be content with complacency. I would not be content with complacency. If the gospel means everything to me, I would not be content saying, you know what, I'm just going to stay put. I wouldn't be content with ministry as usual. As a pastor, I wouldn't say, you know what, we have enough people, let's just take the year off. We have enough people, so let's just kind of ride out the rest of this year and see how it goes. See, that's never the desire of our hearts. We don't want to be content with complacency. We seek to grow people and to grow ministry. For those of you that are new to Rolling Hills, we're excited about a new campus expansion. We're excited. Some of you uh, have come on to the story of Rolling Hills at different points in your journey. And for the past you know, five years uh, prior to this last year, here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we were meeting over at Nolensville Elementary School. And we were setting up and tearing down every week. And God brought together an amazing story for us to merge with a church that was meeting here in this building, meeting here on this land. And our two churches became one. And we celebrated a grand opening on February 23rd, 2020. And then on March the 9th, 2020, we went online for like 22 years um, and didn't do anything in person for quite a while. And then kind of started slowly coming back. And now we had a ceremonial groundbreaking the end of last year. And we're excited about a campus expansion. You guys have seen some of the artwork back there and seen some of the plans. And all that work is happening right now. A lot of it's behind the scenes stuff that I certainly don't understand about all the engineering things and things that are happening. But all of that is coming to fruition. Why do we do all of that? We do all of that because we want to create spaces for more and more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, for more and more families, for their forevers to be changed. So I hope and pray that we would not be content with complacency, but that we would realize it's God who we're serving. I love Colossians 3.23. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Look at this on the screen. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. See, when you realize who you're working for, I hope that it makes you not complacent. I can tend to get complacent when I think I'm just working for another human. I can really get complacent when I'm only working for myself. Can I get an amen? Anybody understand that? 
If it's just me, myself, and I, I can get really complacent. Let's just say I want to get up and work out at 5.30. I have made no plans to meet with anybody at 5.30. It is really easy to be complacent with myself. (laughs) Snooze. (laughs) Snooze. Now, somebody's waiting on me somewhere at 5.30. Much more likely to get out of the bed. See, don't be content with complacency. Maybe you guys have someone you work with who... um, I know this probably never happens to anybody, but you ever have anybody that you work with, and they're at the same level of the organization that you are, but they kind of think that you work for them. And they kind of say things every so often that kind of you, you kind of want to remind them, okay, let's print out an org chart and meet in the conference room, and let's both highlight where we are, and let's hold them up to the light. And, oh, look, we're at the same spot in the organization. You actually are not my boss. You guys are too nice. You would never say that, and you would never do that. You've thought it, though. Some of you have thought it. But the reality is, what about when your boss is involved or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss? When they ask you to do something, hopefully that carries a little bit more weight. Why? Because they are in charge and because they do have the plans and because you do report to them. See, God's word hopefully has that kind of impact on my life. And then some. These words should carry some weight. God's plans and purposes to some carry some weight if the gospel is truly at the center and a priority of my life. And then lastly, I think that generosity, if I'm really living a life that's everything for the sake of the gospel, I think generosity would not be seen as a burden in my life. Sometimes we hear the word generosity and we think, oh, it's just a burdensome. Or here's a pastor again talking about money. That's all pastors ever talk about. When in reality, the, speak, the, the truth is that there's only one time in the Bible that God ever asks us to test him. Did you guys know this? There's only one time in the Bible that God ever asks us to test him. If there were more, I would share those verses. But this is the only one that God gave us. The only time God asks us to test him is in the area of generosity. It's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Look at what he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. What do these verses mean? These verses mean that it's a test that Jesus gives you that's connected to a promise. And he says, trust me in this. So prayerfully, the concept of biblical generosity wouldn't be a curse or it wouldn't be a burden, but rather it would be a blessing. And that you would understand for the sake of the gospel, I want to be about what God wants me to be about. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I think we get one of the clearest pictures, though. All of this could really be summed up in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, because this is Jesus speaking with his disciples. Look at what he says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, what he must do? He must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So to be a disciple is not somebody who has all the answers. A disciple isn't the smartest person in the room. A disciple isn't the wealthiest person in the room. A disciple isn't the most experienced person in the room. A disciple is someone who wakes up every morning and says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to make my life today all about God and others. And I'm going to take up this cross, God's word. I'm going to take up God's agenda, and I'm going to follow that agenda and allow that agenda to dictate everything that I do throughout the course of this day. He says to do this daily. Jesus doesn't say, take up your cross and deny yourself in the month of January because that's when all of our resolutions are still really, really strong. He says, do it daily. 
daily for me to take up my cross and deny myself. Here at Rolling Hills, we have been a church for about 18 years. And in those 18 years, I've been privileged to be a part of 14 of those 18 years as a attender, as a partner, and then as a staff member for the last several years. And there's so many people that stick out in my mind over the last 18 years that have embodied this truth. People who really give all. People who just, you think about them and you realize that's a person who just gives all. They reach out, they grow up, they give all. They are all in for Jesus. There's lots of people in this room that would fit that category. But there's certain people that just stick out over the past several years. And perhaps no one for me embodied this more than Sarah Ezel. Sarah Ezel was an amazing servant of the Lord. Sarah was a very brilliant leader. She was very outspoken. Um, She loved the Lord with all of her heart. She had a number of limitations. Sarah was um, born with a very rare uh, disease that's affectionately known as brittle bone disease. And so her bones didn't form uh, properly, and so she was confined to uh, a wheelchair most of her life. And that didn't stop Sarah from being, though, on the front lines of ministry and on the front lines of serving and on the front lines of leading um, other people and pointing them to Jesus. In fact, I I pulled for you a little bit of the um, kind of legacy memorial that was written about Sarah by her family and her friends. And and there's a portion of this that I want to read to you because it gives you some insight into what Sarah was really about. Sarah laughed at little kids' jokes. Bill Murray and her own misadventures. Sarah listened to friends who were hurting, students who needed an advocate, and her adored nieces and nephews. Sarah lived to serve God, loved her friends and family, and to show us that limitations aren't all that they are cracked up to be. Sarah had a warm heart, a ready smile, and a firm foot for motivational kicks in the rear. Her condo was a home, community center, game room, and refuge. She tenaciously spoke the truth in love, even if it was painful to say. She was also very stubborn, a tad cynical, and had a hard time letting people love her as much as she loved others. At seven pounds, Sarah was diagnosed early with osteogenesis imperfect, a very rare bone disorder, sometimes called brittle bone disease. Doctors said to have no expectations for what was to be a very short, fragile life. Sarah lived 42 years graduated from Hillsborough High School, and was accepted to Vanderbilt University, graduating magna cum laude, and received her master's degree in special education with a 4.0 average. Take that. Then Sarah really got going, charging ahead with her beloved motorized wheelchair named Heidi. She, She worked with children with disabilities at the Kennedy Center and the Susan Gray School on the Vanderbilt campus. Then she served as the Disability Services Coordinator for Vanderbilt University students and followed by heading a project opportunity with Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She grew up attending First Baptist Church downtown, where she was deeply involved in the singles and children's ministry before joining Rolling Hills Community Church, where she was delighted to teach three-year-olds. She generously gave of her time to partners in policymaking and other initiatives devoted to advocacy. In the never-failing arms of Jesus, Sarah lived large. She leaves us thankful to have known her, brokenhearted as we miss her, and anxious to see her dancing down the streets of heaven. And when I think about Sarah, Sarah had a lot of limitations that would have caused most of us to probably say, 
no, I can't be all in for what Jesus desires. Sarah had a number of limitations that would have probably been more than ample reasons to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make life about me. Sarah had more than enough limitations to where she could have put herself in the center of the world, but yet chose not to do that. And she chose to keep God and others central. Sarah was one of the very first people that stepped up when we gave the all call at church to who wants to help us go plant a new campus. And I remember so quickly, Sarah signed up to say yes. In fact, Sarah joined us in our first campus, which became the Rolling Hills Community Church, Nolensville Campus. So if you're sitting here today, there's a part of Sarah's story that you need to know. Because Sarah said, yes. Sarah said, you know what? I want to be all in. In fact, the last conversation I ever had with Sarah, it it was one of the best conversations ever. It was a Sunday morning about a week before um, she passed away. And she was leaving church, uh, and she turned around, and uh, we had had vacation Bible school on the schedule for like the next week, sometime in the next week. And she is leaving church, and she looked at me, and she said, I'll see you next week at vacation Bible school. So the last words I ever heard her speak. The last words I ever heard her speak was, I'll see you next week when I show up to serve. I'll see you next week when I serve up, show up to give all. When I show up to reach out and grow up and give all with my life. See, Sarah had a life well lived because life wasn't about her. It was about God and it was about other people. And I hope and pray that we'll be that type of person. That we will be people who follow after her example. Now, I said today that Part of this is not all about money, and some of it is about resources. But I don't want us to glaze over the fact that giving all when it comes to resources can be a pretty significant struggle for us. You have people like Sarah who certainly embodied it, and so many people in the room who who seek to be faithful in what God has blessed them with. But I, I don't want us to glaze over this because I think in terms of giving all, I do not want you to miss this. And you see this here in your notes, but one of the biggest obstacles to giving all is that I have so much I could give. It tends to be a pretty big obstacle. One of the biggest obstacles of giving all is that I have so much I could give. Look at Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is what Jesus is telling us. Did you know here in the United States of America, specifically Tennessee, Williamson County, Davidson County, Rutherford County, whatever county you may live in here in Middle Tennessee, you may not realize this, but did you guys know you are in the upper echelon of the world society? when it comes to resources. Some of you guys said, I had no idea I was so rich. You are. Here in Middle Tennessee, you are in the top 1% to 2% of wealth in the entire world. I think we struggle to be generous people because we have so much. And the fact that we have so much tends to be a crutch for us when it comes to seeking to be generous. Try this with your kids. If you have kids, set them down and try this. Give you a real-life practical example. Set two kids down and give them two Oreos. Give two Oreos to one of your children and say, now you have to share the Oreos with your younger brother and just start taking notes, okay? Then set down the same two kids and give one of them 10 Oreos and say, now you have to share the 10 Oreos with your little brother. Start taking notes. I promise you, it's going to be more stressful for that kid when they have 10 Oreos, to start giving them away. Why? Because they realize how many they're giving away. One, not that big a deal. Five? Are you kidding me? I can give one Oreo away, but five? 
I can't do that, Dad. It's like a real-life practical example of this. Research actually backs this up as well. Look at generosity trends here in the United States of America, and what you're going to find is you see that per capita, some of the most generous states in the union are the states that are the most economically depressed. And some of the least generous states of the union are some that have the highest income per capita. Why is that? It's because Jesus told us that's how it was going to be. He said to, the, to whom much is given, what much is going to be expected. But yet it's this moment when we realize what it is that Jesus is desiring to do. Corey Ten Boom, who is, was a Christian, and her and her family made a commitment to harbor and provide safe harbor for as many Jews as they could during the, the Nazi regime and opened up their home to prevent many, many Jews from going to the, um, from having to go to um, concentration camps. And Corey Ten Boom, who again is a person who, who I would definitely say has lived her life as an all-in type of person. Corey Ten Boom says, and I quote, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God tries to prize your fingers open. I thought, my goodness. Hold everything in your hands so lightly, otherwise it hurts <laughs> when God tries to pry your fingers open. See, in order to live this way with your resources and your time and your energy and your gifts, so it's going to require something of us. And unfortunately, in my life, I've set the bar far too low, probably for myself, but it does require something for us because to live this life of giving all, it's really to live a life of faith. To live this life of giving all, and you see that there on your notes, to live a life of giving all is to live a life of faith. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're comfortable highlighting in your Bible, highlight that word impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, it takes faith to trust God with everything. It takes faith to say, I want to be about God's agenda and not mine. But also to live that life of faith, you've got to realize this, as you see there in your notes as well. For everything I say yes to, there's something that I'm saying no to. Have you guys caught that? For everything that I'm saying yes to, there's something I'm saying no to. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying no to the world. When I say yes to Jesus' agenda, I'm saying no to the world's agenda. When I say yes to the things that Jesus wants me to do, then I'm turning my back on all of the things that I may want to do. And I pray that all of us would be willing to do that, that we would seek to be that type of person, in fact, I want you to ponder another question. I started my message this morning by giving you a question. And that question, simply put, was what would my life look like if everything in my life was for the sake of the gospel? Well, I want to close today with a different question. And that question is what could God do through me if I made myself fully available to him? What could God do? What could God do if I made myself fully available to him? I think it's a great question that we should constantly be asking ourselves. And what Paul says that God could do, what Paul says God could do is that for, if I do everything for the sake of the gospel, then I get the privilege of sharing in its blessings. And what are the blessings that you get to share in with the sake of the gospel? That it's not just your forever that's changed, but it's your kids' forevers that are changed. It's your neighbors' forevers that are changed. It's the person sitting next to you today. It's their forevers that begin to change. It's this beautiful sharing in the blessings of the gospel that we get to be a part of when we seek to be all in. So I hope and pray that you'll kind of do an inventory of where your life is right now, and you'll say, you know what? I want my life to count. I want my life to count. This is probably the most depressing way ever to end a message. But you guys know, like, we live like we have a ton of tomorrows, don't we? 
we live like we're going to have all the time in the world to do everything that God is asking us to do. But how about right here and right now? We say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to be all in for Jesus right now. I'm not going to keep pushing this back. I'm not going to be waiting for the right time or the right place. Or I'm not going to be waiting for that moment when I feel worthy enough to say yes to what it is that Jesus is wanting to do in my life. But to say, you know what, I'm going to do that right now because I don't want to miss all that God has in front of me. D.L. Moody, who's one of the greatest theologians and church leaders of all time, says that our greatest fear in life shouldn't be a failure, but should be of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter greatest fear shouldn't be a failure. My greatest fear in life shouldn't be failing at my job. My greatest fear in life shouldn't be failing to win awards. My greatest fear shouldn't be failing in the economic realm. My greatest fear should really be succeeding in all of the things that are insignificant and that are not of eternal significance. Our life is so short, and when we seek to live a life of giving all, that's when we succeed. That's what success looks like, living for God for things that truly matter, not just for here, but for eternity. Let's be about that kind of work. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for meeting us here. I pray that you would help us all to be people who give all. God, help us to be faithful to um, the call that you have placed on our life. Help us to be faithful to um, all the things that you um, have put in front of us to do. We're so grateful, Lord, for your blessings. We're grateful for the commission that um, you give us to go, to reach out, to grow up, and to give all for you. God, I pray that you would start something right now, right here in this place. We're so thankful again, God, for your presence. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for tuning in.